All right, if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. This is the last section in Matthew chapter 5. It's verse 43 through 48. And I'm going to pray this prayer over it, us, and then I'm going to read the text and then we'll get into it. Our Father, we thank you for this wise picture of Christ's life. Please reveal it to us deeply through your Holy Spirit. Teach us to listen well, to learn well, and to live out that knowledge. Renew our sight, refresh our hearts, and grant our desires to seek and follow you. Jesus, help us live our lives for you. In your name, amen. This is Matthew 5, 43-48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For me, he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, I love the words of Jesus, because he says the most beautiful and impossible things, and sometimes at the same time, love your neighbor, right? Love your enemy. We are salt and light, and and not only that, but our righteousness. Jesus, this is a part of a sermon where Jesus says that our righteousness is to exceed that of the Pharisees that we not only shouldn't murder, but we shouldn't have hate in our hearts, that we are not only to not commit adultery, but we're not even to look lustfully with our eyes and in our hearts. We are to be faithful to our spouse, but we're also in that to be faithful to God because He is faithful to His Word and He's faithful to us. And we don't have to take oaths or vows. We just simply can let our yes be yes and our no be no. So in that, we have integrity. Not only do we not only get to get revenge, we actually go the extra mile to bless those who, are per, who persecute us. And we know that uh, we are going to have people who persecute us, that Jesus has already told us that. And we know that we are to now love our enemies, not only love them, but pray for them. And I've heard people say about their enemies, oh yeah, I pray for them. And it has a malicious tone to it, like there's something else going on. But this prayer that is speaking of is supposed to be one of blessings. And we look at all this to be reminded that Jesus is preaching to us a sermon. And we're in the middle of that sermon. We're not at the end. We're right in the middle of it. And it's a hard sermon. And it's a beautiful sermon. And one that honestly, I don't think that we live perfectly, but we still get to keep it in our hearts as our aim and as our goal on how we treat God our Father and we treat our fellow human beings and how we think and act about certain things and how we really, how we walk in our, in our lives as we call ourselves Christians. All of this is impossible. Tyrone and I yesterday or last week after church were talking about how does this happen? How can we do these things? And, and I think it's impossible except through the Holy Spirit that Je- Jesus left for us to be our helper. 
We need all the help we can get. Amen. We need the reminders, reminders, some of us more than air, uh, than others. But then also in certain areas, we need reminders all the times of who and whom's uh, who we are to represent. When we come into the kingdom of God, we also get to live this kingdom way that Jesus is laying out for us. We are, even if we feel unqualified, even if we are unqualified in a lot of ways, we are representatives of the kingdom of God as we give our lives to Jesus. Our life represents King Jesus to those around us. That is why Jesus is teaching us. He's not only teaching us, he's doing this kind of slowly as we break this out. He's spelling out how we are to live our lives in his new kingdom, how we are to be representatives of his, and how we are to be, in in the words of scripture, how we are to be his disciples. This is how we get to go about our lives representing King Jesus. And Jesus did this for us as an example. He set the way, but he did this through this, the power of the Holy Spirit as well that came upon him as his, at his baptism. And this is the same Holy Spirit that he left for us to equip us and empower us to do his will on earth as it is in heaven. So when we give our lives to Jesus... Um, I think sometimes it's so hard because we receive so much from him, don't we? It feels like uh, the good news of Jesus oftentimes is about us. I mean, if we think about it, like realistically, we receive grace, right? We receive forgiveness for all the sins we've ever committed, the ones that we know about, the ones that we don't know about, the, the things that we did, but the things that we didn't do, right? And that's past, present, future for all time. Jesus forgives us of all our sins and by his blood, we are made clean. But not only that, we are also, scriptures tell us that we are adopted by God. We are brought into this family and giving a, given a special status as one of God's beloved children. This is a beautiful thing. So even in this, we receive help in times of need. We receive grace from him. And sometimes we feel it more than others. We receive faith in, in order to believe in good times and in bad. We receive peace that passes all understanding, joy that's inexplicable. And, and oftentimes we uh, receive understanding and in that we receive comfort. There's so much that we receive from Jesus and we get all these benefits from him that sometimes we also need to be reminded that our lives are hidden in Christ. That it's not really about us. We do reap benefits, but it's not about us. Our lives, as we give our lives and our hearts to Jesus, our lives are no longer our own. We no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in and through us. Jesus did this thing in our lives, awakened our eyes to see his grace, and he began this work in our hearts. He began teaching us his ways, the ways that he wants us to go from now until forevermore. And it truly is a straight and narrow path. It's a difficult one. And we need the help of the Holy Spirit to continue to walk it and continue to accept the words of Jesus because he says some hard words. And we need the work of the Holy Spirit to live them out. We can't do this on our own. Amen. And in that we can admit our weakness. In this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is showing us what it means to have our lives hidden in Christ. 
and showing us how he wants to live. For God so loved the world, right? He loved the whole world, all that he created. And yet God has enemies. God has enemies. They are not flesh and blood, but they are against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Those are the enemies of God. And even in that, God loves his enemies. He wants them to repent. He wants them to turn away from their evilness and their wickedness and turn towards him in his love. However, we also know um, not only does evil resist, but people resist. People give in to evil and they resist God. And yet, God still loves his whole creation. I love his whole creation. God is the one who opens and closes the womb and he rejoices when a child is born. It doesn't matter what family it's born into, what religion it's born into, what nation it's born into. Scripture tells us that children are a blessing from God. It doesn't say Christian children are a blessing from God. It says children are a blessing from God. And he knows this as the one who opens the womb. God doesn't hate humanity. He loves it. God loves humanity enough, all of humanity, to send his one and only son to be a sacrifice for all of us. And that's Jews, the pe- God's people, and Gentiles, which is everybody else. All people in all times, past, present, future, God loves them. God loves us, amen. It's true that there are humans who resist God and hate his ways, They, but the humans are not the enemies of God. It is the evil that is behind it that, and their resistance that is God's enemy. It is the lies that are believed about God and maybe our lack of need for him. Maybe there's other lies that we believe about God that he's fake or he's not real. Those need to be defeated. But again, God's love for them is so great. Jesus is now giving us the task of God's love in it and through this world. Jesus is reminding us that we get to love others as he loved and the people that he loved, which is all people, including those who say that they hate us, those who hate us. We get to set aside our feeling of anger and hatred towards uh, folks that are against us and put on the love that Jesus had for them. Maybe sometimes it's just pity, but Jesus loved them even out of that pity. Jesus is teaching us here to be his representative. Now, all of a sudden, as we give our lives to Jesus, we are hidden in Jesus. People don't get to see us. And his love is to be made known by how we treat people, even our enemies. They will know we are Christians by their love. We're going to sing that song in a bit. But I I love that saying because they'll know we are Christian by our love, which isn't always true, is it? But it should be. At least it should be. We get to love people, even the people that God loves and even the people that persecute us and hate us. It's almost as if in this section, Jesus is taking away uh, from us the category of enemy in regards to humanity. He's saying, no, you don't have enemies. We get to remember where Jesus was when he was preaching this. The time in which he preached this. He was in Roman-occupied Israel. Right? Israel was a country made up of the Jewish people, the chosen people by God, the very borders of it chosen out by God. The Jews had been rightly taught that God loves his people. 
that he is for his people. And God had done so much for them in establishing their family line and freeing them from slavery and in giving them their land. They had known the favor of God and now they were occupied and controlled by the Roman government. For many Jews, the love that God gave them and and the love that they taught to other Jews was only love for the Jews. God doesn't like the other people. God's love um, in, in a lot of ways and during this time turned into nationalism. God only loves us. God only loves us, the chosen nation. God only loves Israel. Or maybe the first hearers of this word uh, would hear that, but God, you can't love Rome. Look at what they're doing to your people. They are the enemies and the outsiders and the ability to re, um, for them to receive love from God is outside of comprehension for so many people. Many were expecting the Messiah to come in, the promised one of God, come in with the sword, take out the Romans, give Israel back their land because God loved them more than he loved the rest of humanity. Rome was no neighbor They were not neighborly at all. They were powerful and they were a wicked government that overreached where they were supposed to be and had taken over lands that didn't belong to them. And here, Jesus is teaching to those who heard this under Roman occupation to love the Romans in their midst. The tax collectors for the Romans, the centurions for the Romans, the the Herodians, the, the leaders of Herod, love your enemy. Their very real and present enemy is there, and still Jesus is making them their neighbor. The idea of loving your neighbors far more inclusive than, than what makes us comfortable at times because God's love is for all people. R.T. France, a commentator that I've been using on Matthew, says that the disciples' benevolence, right? We're disciples of Jesus. His, we're learning from him should be equally open and uncalculating, just like Jesus was. We give love and welcome all in hospitality, showing no partiality, and that includes no matter their religion, no matter their political party, their nation, their race, their agenda, their sexual identity, their financial status, even if folks are different than us, or even if they're opposed to us. We get to show hospitality in all that we do towards them, including our attitude. We get to be generous and want good for them. Um, And we get to do this for those who want nothing good to come to us. I don't know if any of you guys have had uh, people who hate you or who openly said that they hate you, openly opposed you. But you know what we get to do when, when that is, and, and there's probably people that we don't know that hate us, that hate us, right? So, but um, I don't know if, again, if any of us have had that openly. It doesn't matter. Either way, we bless them. And even if they want ill towards us, they want us to die and be destroyed, we pray that good may enter their lives. That's what we get to do. We want them to have a good life, even if they want to destroy us. It's the way of Jesus. Even if they want to tear us down, slander us, do all this stuff to destroy us, if they want us to disappear and get out of their lives, we still get to bless and desire a good life for them. 
We get to pray that God's face may shine on them and His love will break through. And that love is or can be shown through us. But it also says in there that when we love our enemies, it's like heaping coals on their head. They hate it when we love them and when we're kind, right? Jesus is teaching this, that it is not about our feelings of a certain group or agenda. Jesus already promised that we would have enemies time and time again, but God's love is for us. And it's uh, it's abolishing the wrath that we give to an enemy. Thus, the status of enemy disappears in the love that we get to show them and the love that Jesus has given us. And if we let Jesus give us this love, then we get to give it to others. Again, I believe we can close this off so that we don't give it to others. This is, again, why we need the Holy Spirit and why we need to be hidden in Jesus. Our world is full of conflict, right? Our world teaches us how to hate our enemies at almost every turn. It does so in really evil and maniacal ways, and it does so in in very subtle ways, right? Think about if you're a husky, who do you hate? Cougar, right? Or organ, you know, or whoever's whoever you're playing that week, right? If if um, you're a Seahawk, you hate whoever's in your division that is better than or you know has the potential to beat you. We're taught this in our sports. We're taught this in little things that we do, games that we do. We're taught that even uh, in this conflict, that uh, even if if they're not for us, then you know what we do: dismiss them demonize them, get rid of them, have nothing to do with them, even fight against their agenda. This is not just taught about political agendas or nations. It's taught to us through competition, right? It's taught to us through competition that we are, uh, they're, they're the ones that we are against and we must not lose, so we must defeat them, right? Or we'll be defeated. We are taught to have no mercy, Right? Because they have no mercy on us. Well, it's just justice, right? They have no mercy on us, so don't give them any mercy. Jesus is taking this world that we live in, and he's flipping it around. Instead of this competition, we want others to succeed in Christ. We want others to feel loved and not less than in Christ. God's love is greater than our enemies. Amen? It is he who it makes the sun shine on the evil and the good. He gives it to, to everyone. He sends out rain on the good and the evil. He loves them. He wants good for them. He wants sustenance for them. Even some evil and greedy people are the ones who hoard all the world's money. We still get to love them because you know why? Jesus loves them. Our love and Jesus' love, it's not self-serving. It's not about us. This is what this passage is teaching us. Jesus' love was not self-serving at all. Even if God's love was for us and has great benefits for us, we still get to die to ourselves and serve Jesus and be hidden in him. God is love. The very essence of God is love. It is, in fact, his character, and it's the character that he's developing in us. Jesus Jesus told us he's like even if your if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the scribes and the pharisees right but he even ups the ante even more and says that you need to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect well okay even if you're better than a pharisee you're not better than this and now we not only don't have the righteousness that is needed we uh 
it's, it's a hard thing to be perfect, isn't it? And we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And even then, we fail in perfection all the time. And again, this is why we die to self. This is why we are hidden in the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. We are now hidden with Christ, Scripture tells us. We, we are to hide ourselves. We are to hide ourselves in His protection, in His perfection, because He was perfect for ourselves. In that, I think of it this way. We lose ourselves in Jesus. And the more we lose ourselves, the more of Him we find. And we find more of Him as we find more of Him. We reflect who He is in this world. Right? In the people that we encounter. Even those who hate us and are against us. We cannot be perfect. Period. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's no questions about this. And we need to rely on the perfection of Jesus. And we need the Holy Spirit as a constant companion. And reminder that we are hidden in Christ. That it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives through us. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us in this life. Amen. And we need... Uh, and we lead uh, and lead us more and more into the life of Jesus. So I have this question. Will you submit your life to the Holy Spirit's leading? Leading more and more into the ways of Jesus. Now I'll say this. Uh, we can still pray that evil is destroyed. Amen? We can still ask that Jesus will come back soon and set things straight once and for all. But vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And we get to leave this vengeance in his hands and trust that God will set things straight, which by the way, that's a big trust, right? But I, I, in this, I want to remind us how God did this, how he took vengeance on the life of John Newton. We just sung Amazing Grace, who he wrote. That's what he's famous for, but he's also a Christian pastor who helped William Wilberforce as he fought to abolish slavery in the British Empire. And by all accounts, John Newton died a humble and good man. He was full of love and charity, but he was not always that way. If you've read any biographies about him, before Jesus met with John Newton and changed his life, John Newton was a slave trader. He was a sailor, and he was a sailor sailor. He, he, he captained sh- ships that bought and sold slaves from the west coast of Africa. You've heard the saying, cuss like a sailor? Well, the whole life of a sailor was one of debauchery. It was not a good life. It was a very, very hard life. And John Newton was one of those sailors who that very idea would have come out of. He was a tough man. He was a strong man. He was also hard-hearted and stubborn. He had to be going in the sea uh, all those years. And by all accounts, John Newton was an evil man who did horrific deeds. John Newton would have had in his voyage, he would have taken on as cargo, thought of as possessions, human flesh. That's what he did. And during storms, when the seas would get too high, he would chain human souls to one another and throw them off the ship to lighten the load and make it less likely that they would crash. He was a murderer. And this was after he had stole them from their land and paid cash for them as if they were cattle. It's possible, and even a couple biographies that I've read on him would suggest that he would take some of the slave women into his own cabin during these voyages for the entire voyage and then sell them when he was done. 
John Newton was an evil man. He was a slaver. In all rights, he needed to be destroyed. When we pray against evil, that's what we're praying against, isn't it? Praying against, don't treat people like this. This is not the way we do it. And this is, destruction is exactly what God did. He destroyed John Newton, not in the way that you and I might have done it with a storm on the sea and let him drown and taste all the evils that he did. He destroyed John Newton with his grace. God's love for him, once it was realized, changed the life of John Newton down to the very core of his being. He went from being a slaver to a servant of Jesus. He went from being a hater of God to being in love with God and loving God's people. He was humble because he was aware of all that he was saved from. He loved grace because he knew he needed it so desperately. And God destroyed John Newton with his grace and his love. And I pray that we might let God do the same in our own lives and that we might let God do the same with our enemies. But for us, let us be reminded that even though we might not be as evil as John Newton, Jesus still died to save us because he needed to, because he wanted to, because it was, we are his joy and he wanted to love us that way. And he wants us to represent him now in this earth. What do we need to set aside our lives to be hidden in the perfection of Jesus? Where are we selfish? Are we willing to trust the Holy Spirit into the places, the life that Jesus has for us where it's less of us and more of him? I pray that we are. I pray that we are. Jesus, you give us hard words. We're doing our best, Lord. And even in that, we fail so many times. Lord, we're trying to rely and depend on your Holy Spirit. Lord, sometimes some days are good days when we feel like we served you. And then there's other days when we just know that we fail. Lord, I confess that sometimes people that are against me, I don't pray for blessing over them. I don't want good for them. Lord, I pray that you will just change our hearts so that we will want the things that you want that are... Lives will be less selfish and we may be hidden in you once and for all. In Jesus' name, amen.